Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the second official episode of uh, 22 and No Clue. I'm your host, Kyle Gasheru, and uh, joining me for this one is another special guest, someone I've also known for a very long time, a uh, lifelong friend. So welcome to the pod, Mr. Joss Wardley. How you doing, Joss? Hey, man. How are you? I'm not bad. You chilling? How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Um, thanks for coming on. Um, you guys, well, if you're listening to the audio, you will know, but if you're watching the video, you'll know we're doing this over FaceTime because Joss is back home in Kenya. Um, so yeah. How is it? How's back home? It's not bad. Uh, there's some struggles. You don't get the independence like you do in the UK, but yeah, it's not bad. At least the weather's good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's the main point of envy. So it's always good weather back home. But um, yeah, let's get straight to it. Like I said, I've known Josh for quite a while. Uh, we met, if you listen to the first episode, um, we also met back in Paponi, P2. So I just wanted to kind of, kind of similar to what I asked him, um, ask how you found boarding school, Paponi, that whole, whole boarding life. Yeah, boarding was different because we started, I guess, what, we were 13, 14 when we started yeah, boarding yeah. school? Yeah. So it was quite weird to like, First time you're going, I mean, we both did weekly, which is, it wasn't as bad as, like, it wasn't as, the difference wasn't as much, but we still were going from Monday to Friday, leaving home, coming back the weekend. But I remember the the first weekend we did boarding school, mm -hmm. the first weekend of P2, I got home and I was like to my mom, uh, do you think it's okay if I do before boarding? <laughs> and she was <laughs> like, we live 15 minutes away from school, you're not going to do before boarding. <laughs> what you wanted to become a full boarder yeah i think it was just the i enjoyed it so much so i was like and uh after the first few weeks uh, i remember because i shared a room with tim yeah uh and i remember tim telling me oh yeah we go to the cinema we go bowling on the weekend yeah yeah and he made it seem like such like a like a nice thing to and he was like the weekends are so chilled <laughs> so i was like ah it's better than being at home man yeah no for sure because i remember especially like towards year 12, year 13, we'd go and do more things, um, like going visiting the malls, um, all of that. So yeah, those that full border life did seem quite uh, quite luxurious to some of us guys who go home on the weekend. But yeah, like most of us, we made the transition from high school, coming over to the UK for uni. Um, I know you went to Newcastle. Um, so I just wanted to ask how you went about picking Newcastle, how you found it uh, up there in the north. Yeah, so uh, like Tim said in the first podcast uh, episode, it was a bit similar where I was like, so my degree, my first degree was biology. Yeah. So uh, I kind of like looked at, uh, I kind of had two charts that I put up. One was um, the biology chart, like mm -hmm. best universities in England for biology. Um, and then I was scrolling down the list and obviously... Um, I had to compare it using my predicted grades and what I think I was going to get. So I couldn't go too high up the list, but I didn't want to go also too low. Yeah. So I think Newcastle was about like 20th or 22nd for biology at this time. Mm -hmm. So um, it was like, that was kind of where I was looking. And, um, and then I went on my second list, which was like the best um, social life yeah. in England for each uni. I think Newcastle was either second or third. Right. So I was like, it kind of works out that Newcastle would be my top choice. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, by also saying that, because I know your girlfriend also went to Edinburgh, right? Yeah. So did that also affect your decision a bit, going like you'd be closer to her type of thing? I think so. Um, I think we, we kind of said it, we shouldn't do it based on yeah. the... But then uh, her, she got into either Imperial or Edinburgh Uni. Yeah. And then uh, she decided to go to Edinburgh. Mm. Um, but uh, it's actually, I thought I was going to be in Edinburgh because um, basically my second choice was Harriet Watt, another university in Edinburgh. Right. And um, our we- our grades came out a week before the uni's the uni decided if you're going to be accepted or not. Yeah, yeah. And my grades wasn't what Newcastle were asking me. Yeah. Mm. So I saw those things and for a week I was like, well, I'm not go- I've not got into Newcastle, so I'm probably going to Harriet Watt. I'm probably going to live in Edinburgh. Right. Um, and then the day the uni's things, I just got an email saying congratulations from Newcastle. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they, they allowed it. <laughs> Wait, so how, how did that, how did they switch up? If you didn't get what you needed. I don't know, because I was, I, I think I needed something like, I think I was two grades below what I needed. Yeah. But I can't remember at the time, I remember hearing on the news, being, people being like, this is like the lowest marks. Yeah, like I remember. Lowest average marks. Yeah. Oh, you got it bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they were just like a bit lenient, luckily. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that all worked out. And like you said, you saw social life was uh, number two and number three. And I know from some of the stories you've told me, uh, it can get a bit a bit wild up there. Um, so how did you yeah. how did you find the social aspect of Newcastle? Uh, it was a bit different. Um, I mean, I think, like, even though my parents are British and I used to go to uh, England a lot, I feel... Um, even moving because I was born in Kenya, yeah. uh, going back and living in England. I, I know you probably felt the same. It's very weird. Like it's very different. Mm-hmm. Like the way people act and stuff is very different. Yeah. I don't know if you found that when you first arrived. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was, it was weird to start with. Um, and I kind of, um, I had some other Kenyan friends in Newcastle mm-hmm. that I knew uh, lived there and were there from the year before I came. But I kind of wanted to step away from them, step away from seeing them My the first few, I think it was the first two months. Right, right. Just because I was like, I don't want to fall in that thing of like only yeah, like going out with Kenyans and only like, because I wanted to also see like, uh, meet like people who are in my course, people who are on my degree and who are in the same accommodation with me. Yeah. And then also have that, that uh, Kenyan friends in Newcastle, which I probably saw like once or twice uh, every week. Mm. So it wasn't like after the two months. So it was quite a good balance. Yeah. And because I know even, especially because I went to Kent and Kent has a very big, like not only Kenya, but like East African and like just Africa in general, African community. So I know quite a few people who like, they wanted to come here and not necessarily always be hanging out with the same crowd that they would hang out in like back home, you know, expand um, their boundaries or whatever. So yeah, I can definitely see why that would be like a major factor for you. And yeah, you said you did your undergrad in biology. How did you find it? Um, bio? I mean, cause I remember that was, that was one of my worst subjects um, <laughs> <laughs> back in P2 in high school, man. That was, that was rough for me, but how did you find it? 
Um, I mean, I kind of, I liked, I liked learning. I, I think I preferred it to learning because I did, what did I do at A-level? I did biology, chemistry, and geography. Yeah. And out of the three, because those, out of the three, those, I was kind of like, I was leaning to more bio because one, I, I like, like, uh, well, what I do now is conservation. Yeah. So I've always liked conservation. Um, but then when it came to uni, because it was just biology, it was quite wide. So learning about like uh, genetics and uh, molecular biology. Yeah. Um, that's the bit I kind of found tough. But um, that's why when I did my master's, I kind of narrowed it down because I was like, I don't want to continue doing molecular and genetics. Mm. Well, I do have some genetics, but I don't want to like focus in on it because it can be quite complicated for me personally. Yeah, and uh, just say what did you do your masters in, and because I remember you were you're really going for it because you did it straight after your undergrad, yeah. Yeah. Um. So my masters was in conservation and ecosystem management, mm -hmm. which I yeah, like you said, I did it um straight after. So I finished my undergrad in June and started my masters in September, October, around yeah. about then. But the main reason was uh COVID. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know even if I would have done a master's if it wasn't for COVID in that way. Like, I'm happy I did one now, but uh, because we were in lockdown in the UK, yeah. I couldn't fly home to Kenya because uh, they had put us on the, like, both countries had red-listed each other. Yeah. Um, so I I remember coming to Brighton. <laughs> yeah. Came, yeah, when we went to Brighton to see Tim. Oh, yeah, in the summer. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, before that like the week before i was like what am i gonna do man like am i just gonna work and just like continue working uh like find a job in newcastle yeah and then i was like maybe i should do a master's because uh i'm here so i might as well stay an extra year and do a master's mm. and then uh when uh, we went to brighton i found out that my master's was accepted so then i uh actually lived with some people that I just messaged on Instagram because like I knew them from undergrad, but we went close. So I just messaged them and was like, yo, can I move in with you guys? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> so it was just a bit like the last, like for three weeks, I was just like going from, I don't know what to do to, I'm on a master's program living with these three people. I hardly <laughs> know. <laughs> and yeah, I feel like that's just, especially this period of our lives, like that's just what always happens. Like you can be doing one thing one minute, then like things just switch up and you're thrust into this whole new different experience. And yeah, because I know personally, I was kind of at the same crossroads of what am I going to do? Am I going to go do a master's? Am I going to try and kind of do what I'm doing now, like trying to work and like doing it in different internships and whatever. So yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely sympathize with you on that, on the, on the very big switch up. Yeah. Obviously, at the time, COVID had influenced your decision to stay in the UK. But do you think if things were how they are now, would you have stayed to do your under to do your masters, or would you have come back home to get straight back into work? I don't know. There's a part of me when I finished my degree was like uh, my first degree. I was kind of in that. I felt too felt too safe and comfortable being a student that I wasn't ready for the real world. Yeah, like I wasn't ready to find a job. I still wanted to be a student. I still wanted to, like, do student nights. I still wanted yeah. to, you know, have that social life students have. And I don't want to worry about the rest of it. So I don't think I was ready. Um, but if they were, if I wasn't in lockdown, then 
I don't know what I, I would probably may have come back for a, a year, come home mm-hmm. like to Kenya for a year. And then maybe uh, decided that I want to go back to uni and do a master's uh, for next year. But I'm, it's, it's hard to tell what I would have done, but I don't think I was ready until uh, this year when I, oh, sorry, last year when I finished my master's, I felt like I could go into the real world and could uh, start like my career. Yeah, because obviously you, what you studied was quite specialized. Um, so I just wanted to kind of switch it to what you're doing today. Do you think, um, having your master's helped you in securing your job? Do you think you'd have been able to get the same job if you only did an undergrad in like general biology, for example? So for the job, uh, I'm currently an intern, um, at agroforestry, mm-hmm. part of, uh, the, it's like a section of the UN. They work close with the UN. Yeah. But, um, I think I could have potentially got a similar, uh, job as if I didn't do my master's but I feel like they wouldn't have one I wouldn't have had a better understanding of the stuff I'm actually doing for ICRA yeah um, and two I feel like they wouldn't have given me the amount of freedom or mm-hmm. like respect in that sort of way if I if I they didn't if I'm like oh I haven't had a master's I don't really know too much about what I'm doing stuff like that yeah yeah I can I can definitely see why that would happen because obviously you um like you said you're born in kenya but i guess you kind of have that unique perspective of being uh your family's british but you came you were born in kenya um lived most of your life there so you know for all like intents and purposes like you are kenyan but obviously did you find um like you had any obstacles in trying to enter the job world in kenya um because i know a few people have said like uh, after they graduate there's usually a few hurdles like they go back home they're not able to find a job so did you find kind of you had the same or even more um, obstacles in job job hunting yeah definitely i'd say the one there's not many uh job forums here like i feel in the uk you have people posting on linkedin you mm-hmm. have indeed you have all these job for uh, forums where people post looking for people yeah Whereas here you do you do have a LinkedIn, but not many people post, or they only post for like higher positions, mm-hmm. um, or but there's no Indeed or anything. So it was a bit of like trying to. So for me, I was just googling like NGO companies um, in my in my industry, right? Uh, and then just sending mass emails and emails. And uh, I mean, I arrived home on the fourth of September last year, mm-hmm. um, and. The first time I got the uh, internship was in November, the end of November, and it started in December. Yeah. Um, and they offered me, which I took, but they offered me three months, no pay internship. So I said, well, I can do two months because realistically, I don't want to do three months working for you for no pay. Yeah. Um, so I did two months with them. Um, and then... I I had a contact in the in this ICRAF mm-hmm, place mm-hmm. that I'm working at now, uh, World Agroforestry, uh, and he helped me go through some hurdles to get my CV to the right people. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I started about two weeks ago. Um, but I'd say the biggest hurdle is pay. If you don't have, like, I'm thankful that I have my parents to support me. Yeah. Well, I can work, but the pay is just, 
not as good as the UK, definitely not as good. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, you'd expect, I guess you'd kind of expect it more back home, but in the UK, like, these unpaid internships, man, they're, uh, they're something else, because um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but, you know, like, kind of, I've done a few internships where I was also unpaid, yeah. and it kind of just got to the point where it was, like, I'm doing all this, putting all this effort, you know, um, kind of in the pro- in the hopes of getting paid eventually. Because my uh, situation in particular, like getting into too much detail, was we can't pay you right now, but we're planning something, and if it works out, then you'll get paid. So it was that thing of, you know, I've I've come out of uni. I'm not. I don't want to just be idle. So I want to get busy. So I'm putting the work in putting out I, I don't even know how many hours into this one thing and then in the end it didn't even work out so the event got like cancelled or postponed or whatever yeah that's the, the reality for a lot of students and obviously not everyone is lucky enough to be able to be supported by their parents for however long and that's something I've seen especially here in the UK you know people having to get just jobs to get by but yeah that the whole unpaid internship is something that personally I've put I've put in my rear view yeah. like that's something I do not want to do anymore because I feel like the quality I was putting in because just to be brief like I did my thing was like the managing of like so- their social medias and you could see like the difference in quality if you go to their page right now difference in quality between when I was there and managing it to now uh, it's been been a bit of a dip you know but yeah, <laughs> yeah but that's the whole thing like it's easy to get like manipulated at our age like you know they'll give you like oh yeah you're a young guy or young girl or whatever you know um, just do this for the experience and then you know put it you can put it on your cv yeah but you gotta realize like most people are not able to do that like you need to get by you need to make a living so yeah that's personally one thing that i've i've put in my rear view and i'm kind of the reason why i started this podcast i wanted to focus my energies into something that's my own um i'm in control so yeah definitely um can go on and on about it but the uh, the unpaid internship thing is as the experience can be good but i feel you should get paid for what you offer yeah especially because uh i feel like with interns you get i don't say the worst jobs but you get that thing of like they're giving you like especially for me i found mm. they're giving me like like i don't want to talk bad about the job i'm working for now obviously but yeah. they're kind of giving me that stuff of like, okay, you're doing data collection. Mm-hmm. So basically my days are just spent on Excel, just collecting data from websites and stuff like that, which is like tedious jobs that yeah, personally they wouldn't want to do. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like you just, you're given like the, the hard, not the hard work, but like just the, yeah, like I said, the tedious work. Yeah. Which is a, which I understand you have to do at the lower levels, but when you're not being paid, mm. There's no motivation at all because you're just like, yeah, I'm especially for my last job, like the people there were really nice and the, what they're doing. Um, it's basically they're doing a census of lines in Amboseli. Mm-hmm. So trying to work out how many lines live in Amboseli, which is a really cool project. Yeah. But I was working from home. Never got to go to Amboseli for two months, Jeez. unpaid, just collecting, <laughs> just doing data work. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, uh, for those two months, it's just for a few words on my CV. It's a bit unmotivating. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely see how, because 
especially the the appeal of being able to go to Amboseli. Yeah. Did you think did you think you'd be able to go when you like first applied for the job? Well, there was a like a few words like yeah, you can come see this, the, you can come visit the site, right, um, and stuff like that. And when I was first told, they were like, "Hi, we're Lion Guardians. We uh, <clears throat> do census, census, and um, tracking of lions." I was like, "This is sick! Mm. Like, I'm gonna be out there tracking lions." Yeah. Um, but no, I was just creating maps on my laptop at home. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow! And yeah, because I know you also did um, a few jobs in Newcastle. Um, I think the one I remember the most was you worked as a bartender, right? Yeah. Uh, so how how did you find that um, working in Newcastle as a bartender? It's pretty funny because uh, the club we worked at was the uh, I say we because uh, nearly about five of my friends worked there. Yeah. Um, so uh, the club was like the, the biggest student club in Newcastle. Mm. It was four floors, uh, and they they served two treble vodkas and a Jaeger bomb for six fifty when I first started working. Oh my goodness! What? <laughs> which is <laughs> which is crazy. But um, seeing a club from the other side of the bar really opens your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, one of my friends has just started working at the same club, and he was just like, "It's just." It's just crazy to see the <laughs> to see the club from the other side of the park. Yeah, I can imagine because especially if it's a, those big big nightclubs, um, especially student ones. Like, obviously, I've I've only experienced it from the consumer side, but I know like working there must have been hectic, especially yeah. on like busy nights. I remember one story. So usually, you know, when the like there's a cheesy music on, I think it was ABBA, mm. and the DJ like stops the music, then the crowd sings. Yeah. <laughs> Like for ten seconds, then he starts playing it like a, oh, like a, a sentence or so. They sing. Mm. Well, basically, one night the music stopped. Yeah, and the the whole club was continuing singing the song because it was this. It stopped before the chorus, and then after after about thirty seconds, we were like, "Yo, what's happening? Why isn't this guy turning back <laughs> on the music? They've sung the whole song," um, and it really uh, it turns out some. Uh, a drunk person had spilt their glass over his decks and oh my completely days. destroyed everything. Oh man, yeah, some of those student nights do usually get so wild, bro. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, from I guess just taking it back to the working aspect, um, how did you find what were the main differences you'd say between like the job um, working in the UK versus like working in Kenya? So like the payment process the application process like what are the main differences you've seen so far so i've had quite a few jobs in the uk yeah um i started off one in edinburgh that my sister worked at so yeah uh, i kind of just sent them an email they responded being like okay we have interviews coming up mm-hmm. um and that was when i in my first year when i applied for that one and i worked for them for about two years but i didn't do many shifts because obviously i lived in newcastle yeah um and then I got another job uh, at this uh, student nightclub mm-hmm. um, and I kind of just messaged them on Facebook. Right. They said, okay, send your, C-. yeah, just message the page on Facebook. And I said, uh, they said, send your CV. So uh, I sent my CV and then they didn't reply for about like, like a month. So mm-hmm. I did it again. I was like, Hey, do you have any jobs opening? This is my CV. And uh, they kind of said, 
uh, okay, we'll review your CV and get back to you. And about two weeks later, they still hadn't got back to me. So I just messaged them being like, hey, is there any update? And they're like, oh, yeah, come tonight for your trial shift. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, that's a bit short notice, but okay. And then I just went. And yeah, and then I worked there for like <laughs> a, n- nearly a year. And then it was disrupted by COVID. Because I guess that that whole aspect of just kind of going out there and sending your CV, sending messages, sending emails, um, it's kind of the same everywhere. But I feel like back home, it might be a bit more who you know, who your connections are. Yeah. Um, have you you've, have you felt um, a bit a bit of that in Kenya? Yeah, definitely. Because uh, like I've since I've been back here, I've also applied to jobs in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes it does take long for them to reply. But um, a lot of the times they do just send me like a generic email saying you didn't get it or yeah. you have an interview with us, which is um, at least they've replied where I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of companies I'm emailed here, they didn't reply at all. Right. Um, and it was only through sending my CV to people uh, my parents had connections with mm-hmm. um, or stuff like that where I started to see more replies and then um before i took this job like i had one week where i had three people saying we have a position for you whereas like it was weird because i had been here since september Mm -hmm. and got one response and then in one week got three responses so i was like yeah it was a bit strange but uh, i think it just yeah my connections definitely help here yeah that's that's one thing about back home that um i guess it's kind of a slippery slope because you do need to have good connections. Um, and I think that's mainly for like our age group. Because um, I was at an, an event yesterday for a few um, Kenyan scholar, scholars who have come here to study in the UK um, through like the Commonwealth scholarships. And one of the main issues they'd say was, um, first of all, when, when they complete the program, they have to they have like 30 days to leave the UK to go back home. As soon as you submit your final uh, dissertation or whatever it is, you have thirty days to like pack up and go home. Which is first of all, that's that's crazy. Yeah. And then when you go back home, it's kind of like, okay, I've spent a year in UK, and now I've just in thirty days I've come back home. But like, what am I doing next? And most of them have said like yeah. they had like a year and a, like or like a year and a half where they just couldn't find anything to do. Like they were unemployed, didn't have any jobs. So I feel like in this kind of space we're in right now in our lives, it's very, very weird, um, especially with everything that's going on in the world at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like we can't catch a break, man. Since It's like since 2020, everything has been cursed. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, yeah. But <laughs> in terms of, I guess, the social um, aspect and working culture, um, do you think you prefer being able to work in Kenya? Because, um, you know, obviously you're able to, you know, still stay with your parents and be supported by them um, whereas if I feel like me over here in the UK I'm just by myself on my ones um, just toughing it out longing it out, longing it out. Um, so which which do you think you'd prefer the thing is I've wanted to go back to the, the UK for a while now um, I was planning to go back in January and then I got the job in December so I pushed it back again from December till February and then in February, I was like, okay, in February, I'm going to leave. And then in January, 
uh, I got this job that I'm currently working at offered to me. So then it pushed it back three months. Mm. So now it's in May that I'm planning to go back to the UK. Yeah. But I kind of feel, yeah, my parents, my, like I've been so lucky that I have my parents um, can support me while I'm not earning the money that um, can, I can support myself here. Yeah. But um, it also comes with the disadvantages of freedom. <laughs> I know in the UK, let's say you wanted to go to a bar with your friends, you could walk there, grab the bus, yeah, you know, do whatever you want here, especially because I live quite far out of town. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, can I take the car in today? Is Like, I won't be late. Can I take the keys? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to wake you up at night, stuff like that, which has its toll. But I think with the UK, you get a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just depends. Things are more expensive than the UK, obviously. Yeah, because obviously right now, um, I'd also mentioned it to Tim because obviously he's here as well. Because there's the whole energy crisis in the UK. Like, I got my bill for um, I got my bill for February. Hey, <laughs> the prices have like tripled, really? like for the energy. Yeah, and I like the whole of Jan. Like once um this whole energy crisis started, like I, I have not been using my heating or nothing. But still, like the prices have still gone up. So. But then, yeah, I guess it's it's the whole thing of balance because on one side, you're back home, you're able to be supported by your parents. But then, like you said, you're not just able to just leave your house. Like if you're here in the UK, just leave your house, catch a bus, go wherever, come back at home yeah. whenever you're not disturbing anyone. It's hard to, to balance the pros and cons of living back home or living over here. Yeah, and you always feel like the grass is greener, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's always that thing of mm. if I was in like if I was in the UK, I would have this. Whereas if yeah, when I'm in the UK, I'm kind of like I just want to go home. <laughs> the weather's too, it's too cold, man. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, you're never satisfied. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of long term, because obviously I'm not sure is your girlfriend back home or she's still in the UK. She's in the UK. Yeah, uh, she works in Edinburgh now. Yeah, so in terms of long term, do you think you'd see yourself? working and living in Kenya or maybe moving somewhere else? Well, I can't, I've kind of been debating, but um, I think for the first few years, I'd like to live in a city. Mm -hmm. I feel uh, because I'm, I'm in conservation, a lot of the jobs are elsewhere, um, especially here in Kenya. Like it's not like a, an office job or anything. Yeah, a lot of yeah. the jobs are not in Nairobi. So I think for the, my first few years, I want to live in a city for the social life. Mm -hmm. Potentially, more likely swaying to the UK just because it's higher pay and I want to have a bit more freedom with money rather than just living off uh, week to week. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And like just having money to go out and stuff like that. I want, I'd rather have like money I could use to invest, mm -hmm. uh, money I can use to uh, create things, stuff like that. Um, so I think for the first few years, I'm soaring more to living in England for a while. And then uh, obviously, I'd rather do conservation in Kenya than in England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, like I say to people, I'd rather I'd rather be looking after lions than looking after squirrels. <laughs> that, that, that can be uh, that should be a mantra, bro. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like one of those Tumblr posts, the quotes. <laughs> Some deep posts. <laughs> I'd rather be looking after lions than squirrels. Sheesh. <laughs> but yeah because i know especially for your thing cons uh conservation and like it's mainly to like the wildlife yeah so i guess it would make more sense to obviously want to work in kenya 
Um, but then, like you say, it's kind of that how to balance it. Uh, you'd have more, I guess, in terms of like career-wise, you'd have more fun looking after animals in Kenya. Uh, but then in terms of like pay, you might benefit more in the UK. So, yeah, it's kind of where, where to, how to balance it out. That might be a bit tough. Because, yeah. yeah, just looking it back to myself, obviously I've, I studied law. So I guess it's a bit it's a bit more even ground in terms of opportunities and like qualifying as a lawyer. Um, in UK or in Kenya, yeah. but I guess pay is also a bit different. I'd say in the UK, obviously, just because it's a stronger economy. But like you say, there are some. That's they are always the you can always say the grass is green on the other side, uh, in Kenya or mm. even here in London, for example. I know you were swaying more to sports law. Yeah. So yeah. does that, uh, if you're still interested in that, would that have a big factor? Because obviously. Sports is a lot more developed in the UK than Kenya. Yeah, well, like you said, sports is more developed in the UK. But then I guess the benefit of doing, like, for example, sports law in Kenya. Um, so, like, even recently, like, FIFA banned Kenya from uh, FIFA banned Kenya because of the kind of the current state of the federation um, and, like, the government getting involved. It's, like, a whole whole different topic. But, yeah, so in terms of, like, uh, like sports in Africa is developing so there'll definitely be more opportunities to be able to be there from the ground up type of thing yeah so whereas here in the UK it's like a bit more developed so like guys already have so much experience you're like you're like trying to get let into the door whereas in Kenya it would be a bit more of you'd be part of the people building it up type of thing yeah that's that's very true so I think in terms of like right now in my life I would want to stay out here get as much experience as I can like I said, sports law is already pretty much developed in UK and in Europe. So try and expand my legal network here, gain as much experience as I can. Yeah. But then ultimately, I think I would want to go back home and give back to, you know, the country where I'm from, where, where my family's from. It's this whole thing of being able to give back to your community. Because I know quite a few, like there's one lawyer I've met here. He was originally from Kenya, but he just came here. And he stayed here throughout. But personally, I'd want to be able to, you know, go back home and just be able to contribute and like help build up sports, not only in Kenya, but in Africa as in general. And that's the topic that I've been discussing a lot with um, some of the people as well, how we can improve the sporting scene in Kenya and in, in Africa. Yeah. And this is also something I was, I was talking about yesterday. It's this whole thing of like back in P2, like all of us, we'd, oh, we'd play football like almost every day consistently playing because obviously we had the facilities in our school we had the pitches we had whatever we wanted to be able to do so but then as guys have like gone to uni then like graduated and now like working or whatever like most people have like fallen off playing sports yeah yeah like even i'm right now finding it difficult to you know find somewhere to play football i'm trying to find a <laughs> an 11 aside team that i can play regularly on the weekends because recently i was also asked by someone who's kind of trying to implement change in Nairobi and he was asking me what I feel some of the key changes I would implement in Nairobi yeah. and when he first asked me that to be honest I was like I was pretty clueless because I haven't been back home in a few years now but then I guess if I I just thought of it from my own like perspective and kind of my own like what I'd want like socially or uh, physically maybe increasing like opportunities for people to play sports because the main thing that I then one of the reasons why I wanted to go to Kent in particular was because I wanted to be able to like engage in usual like football, 
Like you have the amateur leagues, you have the Sunday leagues where people like make their own teams, you know, you go, you play. Whereas I feel like in Nairobi, that's one thing that's kind of, you know, able to do. And even though that's kind of a very, I don't want to say privileged, but that's a very, not very important thing. But then it does kind of contribute to like socially, would I want to be living back home or living over here where I feel like there's more opportunities for me. But then obviously that's because obviously I'm a massive football fan and like playing football. Yeah. But yeah, I'm sure even you've seen like, oh, have, have, have you found like the social aspect in being back home and working there? And I know you've already alluded to it before with you have a bit less freedom, but in general, how are you finding um, the whole social aspect? Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult because the one thing is the, the main people I see is... Um, people um, from school or people from uni um, my Kenyan friends who went to Newcastle yeah but it's quite hard I think meeting new people mm-hmm. unless it's through connections again so like if I go to a barbecue like we've had a few barbecues recently so when I went to the barbecue I met some of my friends friends and then that's how the only connection whereas like like you're saying um through sports as a big way to make connections yeah. and it's not like there's nowhere to play because recently there's been so many astro test five aside pitches which have um, been coming up and it's across nairobi it's not just in one place now mm-hmm. actually i was meant to go play five aside today but uh, <laughs> last night i watched too many episodes <laughs> wow <laughs> so i couldn't wake up in time you're that guy yeah. you're that guy <laughs> But um, to be fair, I didn't confirm, so I didn't, I didn't <laughs> let anyone down. But uh, yeah. literally, the only way is is I was added to a group chat because um, my fr- uh, friend was in the group chat, and I was added to that group chat. And then they sometimes say, "Okay, like next weekend, let's go play football." Mm. But um, when I was at uni, we had a, a five-a-side. I was in a five-a-side league. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like every year, um, you'd have a league, and you'd literally run like a league and it wasn't just one league it was like different leagues for the abilities so you go on the first day you're with your team Mm -hmm. you play like a few rounds against random players and then they even make it into a big league in which you can climb for the next year yeah like you can climb the table which was a sick idea that would it would be amazing to see something like that here like they probably is but it's not advertised as much Mm -hmm. or stuff like that yeah because i feel like Personally, that was just one of the main things that I wanted to come out here and experience. Um, obviously, that's very specific to who I am as a person. And some people might prefer um, other aspects of life back home. Yeah, but I guess now you're in the UK and you've seen how these leagues are, how the availability of leagues and even with your sports law stuff. Yeah. As we were going back to how we were saying the UK is more developed. I guess now you have that knowledge of how it runs, how everything works, which you can implement back home when you eventually do come back. Yeah, you could. But then I guess it's kind of the whole, there's going to be lots of red tape and, you know, bureaucracy that you have to go through. Yeah, this is uh, just, you know, from speaking to my dad a bit about this stuff, because he's involved in the sector, um, kind of trying to manage sports in Kenya is can be quite challenging. Um, and then especially when it comes to football, obviously Kenya has its own unique football kind of scene. Then this whole, you know, debacle they have with FIFA where they've been banned, it's but yeah, I guess the only thing I can do personally is try and, you know, gain the 
best experience, try and sharpen my skills, broaden my knowledge. And hopefully one day I can go back home and, you know, hopefully make make change. Because personally, I feel like if we have kind of what the UK has here, where from young, like you're able to, they have under sevens, under nine, under 11. If we had something similar back home that was kind of dedicated to developing sports, I know like quite a few of us that maybe would have been able to make it pro in football or other sports as well. You know, if we had kind of that from young, like a youth, proper youth development. And that's kind of what I'm trying to... Whenever I go back home, I try to do it with my with my little brother Christian. <laughs> try project and, Mbappe. <laughs> yeah, trying to do a, trying to do a project Mbappe with him. Uh, whenever I whenever I can, <laughs> you know, training him or doing whatever with him. Um, but yeah, that's one thing. Like I'd say, you'd have to start with like doing it from young, so you can because there's so much talent in like the whole of Kenya and even Africa as a whole. If you're able to like develop it from young, then you'd be able to build up not only you know, the talent, but then also the football scene in Kenya itself to be able to enrich its talents. I also think for us, yeah, we had stuff like sports in school. Um, but the thing was, it was, it wasn't, our coaches weren't football coaches. They were yeah coaches which taught every single sport. You know what I mean? We had, mm-hmm. them, we had the same coach for every single sport. I say in P2, um, the only really concentrated sport was hockey Mm-hmm. um because we had it we had a personal hockey coach who who was primarily there to teach hockey yeah um but apart from that other sports i can't really think of maybe apart from the basketball coach but <laughs> <laughs> Francois. Shout out, shout yeah out but uh i wouldn't say he was a specialist <laughs> damn that threw me back man uh <laughs> but like i said if there's one thing i'd change if i go back home eventually it would be to like start developing it from young but yeah that's i guess that's just like a long-term goal long-term vision and then i guess the main thing with like people our age who are all focused on like ourselves and like the here and now yeah um like if you speak to most people you know um and you can't i guess you can't really blame us because you know you're thrust into like the world of adulthood the, the various challenges that the current world has uh, going on the various obstacles we've had to go through you know the past two three years and you know i guess it's you can say it's kind of hard not to be pretty individualistic yeah, and like thinking of i need to you know um w- try and find work for myself try and earn money try and make a living while at the same time like kind of the like the generations above us are looking at us as okay you guys you know you you go to your degree like the amount of people that tell me yeah, you're going to become the <laughs> the next wave of lawyers in Kenya or whatever. But, you know, I guess from our perspective, we're not really thinking that long term um, yeah. for most for most people, at least. Um, do you think that's something that you've experienced, like, like, you know, through what you've been doing? That you've, it's just kind of been like the here and now and what you're trying to do right now? Yeah, uh, definitely. I'd say even right now, I'm still a bit undecisive. Yeah. Um. With what I actually want to do, what my end goals are, like I have uh, ideas, but if someone asked me where do you see yourself in five years, I wouldn't know what to tell them. Mm. You know what I mean? Um. Yeah. So like my last the internship, where I didn't get paid. I was working on mapping out lions and working with wildlife. Yeah. Whereas now I'm working in agroforestry. Mm. Although it's all kind of conservation, it's very different sides of the conservation world. Yeah. One's mainly looking at how we can restore wildlife 
mm-hmm. and the other one's looking at how we can combine wildlife with agroforestry um like yeah. not wildlife but forest with uh, agriculture mm-hmm. so working with people to develop um forests so it's quite different and um personally when i left uni i was like uh, I, after i left my undergrad and a bit of uh, my masters i was like i'm not going anywhere near plant biology ever again <laughs> <laughs> yeah and now i'm working in plant biology so it's a bit um <laughs> i'm just trying to test the waters but yeah i, I don't know what uh, still deciding what i want to do and i guess it's kind of consistent with why i even made this podcast and kind of just wanted to map out my own and like you guys my friends um journey as we kind of you know make our way through the world make our way through life and yeah i mean we've spoken a lot about um kind of your job experience in newcastle how you're finding it in kenya currently so i just wanted to kind of switch it to a lighter topic now i've already alluded to obviously we're both very big football fans unfortunate to say we're both uh man united fans given the, the well, current I state both of us man <laughs> I think you're you're turning into a brentford fan oh okay okay no 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 actually yeah let me let me just set the scene because the i can't you can't knock the affordability of uh, <laughs> of those Brentford tickets because yeah if anyone follows me on Insta then you probably have seen like I've been to like a few Brentford football games and the reason for that is a they are very very cheap I think they're the cheapest in Prem yeah because literally I pay twenty twenty five pounds uh, for a ticket and that puts me literally row one like where like literally at the very front row of the stadium that's crazy. And That's like, for the price. yeah, as and obviously as a United fan, you know, I've been looking at United tickets, uh, even I think it was like, I think it was like FA Cup or something. And I, I was seeing like £100 and that's for like you're in the tier three, tier two up there. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good job you didn't go to the last FA match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But yeah, in terms of just supporting Brentford, it was, yeah, I just, I like I was in London and I'd never before I went to the first Brentford game like I'd never been to a prem game before so yeah. it was the whole thing of how can I be in the UK and I've not watched any Premier League football so ball membership and although yeah. I uh, roast you a bit for it I I fully believe <laughs> in uh, fans on loan mm. I think uh, as fans players on can loan. go on loans fans can also go on loan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, right now they're, they're fighting for the they're trying to stay up man then the the relegation fight so it's a bit peak but because I mean, if you look at the way United is moving, um, drew against Watford yesterday. I didn't even watch the game because obviously three PM UK games on show live. But oh, did yeah. you did you see the game? Yeah, um, I actually went to a friend's house to watch it, mm. um, which is a bit annoying because there's three of us that we had a barbecue, watched the game. We're all United fans. Yeah, and it's just so frustrating to watch us dominate a game and then <laughs> draw nil nil. Yeah, I feel that's been our problem this season, hasn't it? Like, yeah, so many chances. I don't know what's happened to my guy CR seven, um, <laughs> and I guess the main thing I've seen, like from guys on Twitter, they're saying, you know, with the amount of chances we're creating, you can't really blame the manager because obviously the tactics he's made or he's implemented, like they're enabling us to make the chances we just can't finish. Yeah. What do you think of Randick? Do you think he's a good, like, interim? Yeah, I think he's been good. Um, so far? Yeah, like you said, he's cre- he's allowed, he's, his tactics have allowed us to create so many more chances than we yeah. could have expected. I mean, going from Ole, who I believe was on vibes, <laughs> to seeing some <laughs> a bit of a, 
a bit of tactics implemented yeah. is pretty good. Um, but the thing I hope is that we don't get we don't get carried away once we start finishing the chances and mm-hmm. put him as a permanent manager because as much as I like him now, I don't want him permanent manager. Right. Um, I'd rather have someone else uh, and him because they promised him in interim and then he still works for the club as a consultant. Yeah. Um, which I really like the idea of because I feel like he, he's, he's got the knowledge, especially working for Red Bull, becoming, what was he, head of uh, the Red Bull Football Association, was that it? Something sure like that, yeah. Called. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Uh, uh, it's it's crazy to have him at the club, but uh, I don't want him permanent manager because that's what we did with Ole. It mm. didn't turn out as as well. But who do you think, uh, what, in the summer potentially, what, who would you like to see as a manager? In terms of manager, I'd, uh, I don't even know, to be honest. At the current moment, I'm thinking mostly about the players because if you look at our summer signings, like... On paper, if you told me like we'd have signed Sancho, Varane, and CR seven, like that's that's crazy. But then, yeah, I don't know. I feel like Ronaldo, he's he's nearing that stage where it's like Aging. might be it might be time for Miami, my guy. Might be time for Miami, <laughs> but no, maybe not Miami. But you know, somewhere not Prem though. Yeah. As much as it pains me to say, because obviously he's the guy that like one of the people that made me fall in love with football. But I think. For next summer, I'd say the main thing I want to see personally is a young striker. Because obviously, the state of our club, uh, we have Martial out on loan. Then we have a man like Mason. He's about to get locked up for for whatever he's done. He deserves it. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, so you know, I think we need, even though, although Alanga recently he's kind of come up Alanga is just yeah he's, amazing he's been on fire he's been on fire but i feel like he'd be more like better like on the wing like kind of rashford's position because yeah, rashford has also been a bit out of touch <laughs> to be fair so i think we need say we need like a young we need we need we need a harland that's what we need yeah <laughs> or even uh if we don't get harland if which it's very it's very a lot of people are gonna go after him i think uh mm. you know that uh is that yeah oh yeah yeah the swedish guy um yeah he he's i think he can be potentially sick for us mm. um but going back to you uh like you're saying we bought in so many good players yeah. i saw this twitter post and the guy was like how come we bought in one of the the best right midfields uh young potential right midfield in the world yeah and now he's become our 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 best left mid (laughs) we literally (laughs) brought him in to be our right mid and he's now our best left it's because Rashford (laughs) has been slacking bro i don't don't know what's i don't know what's happened with him um but yeah i feel our players they just need i don't know man it's like they need a switch up or something yeah and then we have old man Edison Cavani is just there for vibes. He plays one game. He's out for seven. Did you see that thing, the stat? Was it 30, 39 games out of 90? He's not been in the match squad. Yeah, bro. <laughs> this guy, like, even the day, the day I think it was the day before we played Leeds, he was at that uh, that boxing match in Manchester. Yeah. Like, my guy was at the boxing, and we had a game the next the next morning. Like He's just on herbal tea and vibes. <laughs> but, yeah, in terms of... Summer signings, what the other main positions do you think we need to strengthen for United? There's a few factors, but obviously putting the obvious one out there, we need a CDM, yeah. someone who can uh, control control the min- 
because uh, currently I don't think we have a good CDM. Um, Matic has become too old. Yeah. Even Fred, I think Fred, when we have someone like Matic on the field, it allows him to go up. Mm-hmm. And I think he's, he's actually pretty good at creating chances upfield. Yeah. Whereas when it comes back to defending, he's not actually that good. So if we get a, a solid CDM yeah. who can play the ball and become a pivot, um, then that's, that's probably our main thing. And then um, obviously we get Donny back. Uh, which mm-hmm. I think is is good, uh, especially if Pogba leaves, which is still a bit. Uh... Man, do you, do you want him to leave? Like, personally, I don't know. The thing is, I feel like he he did come to United and he's wasted a lot. He could have done a lot, like elsewhere. But he's the most talented individual players in our squad on his days man yeah definitely definitely. so i don't want him to leave in that aspect but at the same time because i like him so much as a person i also think maybe it's time yeah it's a bit of a tough one um because it's both him and lingard who kind of the contracts are running out so i mean lingard why is he like 29 coming on 30 (laughs) but it still means he's the next generational talent (laughs) (laughs) Lingard is 29 coming on 21 (laughs) yeah Um, so yeah I think Lingard especially because if you look at our bench um, like apart from Elanga if we didn't have Elanga at the current state of our club like we'd have to be bringing on Juan Mata like Mm -hmm. for subs so yeah we I think we need a bit more youth in there and yeah I think at the main positions we need to fill like you said CDM and then I'd also say uh, a striker because yeah. obviously Cavani is going to be going obviously not to show about Ronaldo because he just he, do, he does what he wants yeah like even with Juve like in July he was saying yeah I'm committed to Juve then in August my guy was boarding a jet and <laughs> trying to force a move <laughs> so yeah I think Ronaldo was just for nostalgia like it was obviously great to see him back CR7 yeah. at United but <sighs> and we just didn't want him to go to City man yeah I think that I think that we, we definitely got played by his agent forced us into signing him because like yeah i don't think no one else had the financials to to sign him when he was when he wanted yeah but yeah in terms of some of the goals he's given us though like champs and some of the last minute winners like it's yeah. it's been live man enough to make a grown man shed a tear <laughs> <laughs> i was nervous about the second leg talking about champs man uh i was I was just saying, um, when we played Atletico, yeah. I looked at Atletico's bench and I looked at our bench. Bro. You know, when you scroll down on the football app, the first names I re- read was Jones, Mata, um, <laughs> on our bench. And uh, what's that? Heaton. Jones, Mata, and Tom Heaton. Heaton. <laughs> yeah. On our bench. And then on their bench was Suarez Griezmann. Yeah. And I man. was just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to we need to bolster our team. Like, no joke. Yeah. I mean, do you think we're going to get top four this year? The way it's currently I think, looking? Uh, I mean, have you seen our next fixtures? <laughs> I know they're tough. But then I guess I'm just kind of looking. I think West Ham, West Ham just won. I had the game on in the background. I think West Ham just won against Wolves. Arsenal also kind of on form. Um, but then obviously Tottenham are... I guess Tottenham are a bit bit wobbly yeah and Arsenal have three games in hand on us yeah I know <laughs> like, like it's totally it's totally in their hands like they can go top four even yeah. I think go a few points behind Chelsea so they can pass Chelsea because one of their games in hand is Chelsea so they could oh yeah yeah true third. which is crazy and to think at the start of the season Arsenal were literally battling relegation guys were guys were yeah. calling guys were placing bets on them to get relegated you know that's the one thing I'm excited for 
the end of the season is the Arsenal documentary. Oh, the Amazon. <laughs> oh, that thing is gonna be. Yeah, that thing is. It's gonna be Oscar worthy. The last rumor I heard was that Ode- Odegaard and Lacazette were getting with each other in the showers. <laughs> what? That was the last rumor I heard. It's. It's. it's Where it's did you hear that from, bro? It's Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I think they had to make a statement. I think it was uh, Arsenal. Uh, Lacazette's agent had to make a statement. <laughs> what? On I could earth? be wrong, but yeah, it kind of got out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that sounds insane. But yeah, no, some of the things that have happened at Arsenal this this season, it's gonna be it's mm. gonna be juicy. Like yeah. especially Obama Yang, yeah, Obama Yang. Skipping training to get a tattoo. Yeah, some of the things he's done, I, I hope is well documented. Like the guys, I hope those guys know the the weight on their shoulders. The whole world is waiting right now. That was the <laughs> mad thing. Uh, I watched the Tottenham one when it first came out. Yeah. Um, and that was, if it came out mid-pandemic when we were yeah, yeah. at the height of it all, when we were in full lockdown. And I remember in the documentary, they were like, oh, uh, three cases have been found in the UK. Mm. Um, so we're worried about having to shut the firm down. And I was like, I looked at the thing and it was like 45,000 cases reported today. And I was like, <laughs> go back to when it was three cases to 45,000. It's yeah. insane. But yeah, I think I, I like the whole concept of these documentaries, though. Of like mm, being able to game. show us like how like what actually happens in these clubs. Like I'd love for United to do one just so I can. Yeah. Because naturally, as a fan, you'd want to know like, because I guess most people like place these players on like pedestals and like what they see on the pitch is like it's not always what happens. Like there's so many inner workings, inner dealings, even like to the manager as well. You get to see like a different aspect. So I I really like the concept of the the behind-the-scenes Amazon documentaries. Definitely. I think they should do it... Uh, I don't know. Is it w- once every two years they're doing it? I'm not sure because I think it's. I think it might be every year because obviously we had the Tottenham one 2020. Then they did Juve 2021. Um, so then now they're doing yeah, yeah, yeah. the Arsenal one, So which will be 2020. So I think it might be every year, but I'm not too sure. Mm, it's a good insight. Yeah, definitely. And I guess there's one, one topic I wanted to pick your brain about. Mr... Cat Zuma, see what I did there, <laughs> bro. My brain, is, my brain had to process. That. Okay, yeah, uh, Kurt Zuma, um, who obviously well, I think it was a few weeks back now, like two, three weeks back now. Video came out of him and um, the cat. What did you, what did you? What were your thoughts and your initial reaction to seeing the video? My initial reaction was I watched the video and I was like, what the. F- has this guy released, man? <laughs> One, why is was it his brother? Yeah, his brother, who's also a football player, mm-hmm. was taking the the video. Yeah, and I was like, one, obviously that cat should have been taken away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, like he shouldn't have a pet if he's gonna do that. But also, why film it and then why post it? Yeah, it's a million dollar question. I don't know. As things started to unfold, yeah, I thought it was right that the RSPCA got involved, and mm-hmm. it was right he got fined. But um, I think the reaction on Twitter and some of the forums yeah. was when you compare it to other scenarios, mm-hmm. such as racist yeah. footballers who have said racist stuff to other footballers, mm. it was a bit... Yeah, it's not proportional. I don't know, it was a bit... Yeah, it wasn't balanced to what it was. So uh, it was a bit, uh, a bit weird seeing that part. Yeah, because I think on the, on the sponsor side... I know, I think it was Vitality dropped West Ham 
Adidas dropped Zuma, and then there was I think there's another sponsor I'm not too sure that also dropped West Ham because obviously they they decided to play him in their next game anyway. So yeah, I think from that side, like seeing one of their main sponsors dropping West Ham as a club, was a bit like yeah, it's a bit like <laughs> where's some of these reactions yeah. in different scenarios, you know? Yeah. But then I guess I don't know. Um, in terms of the situation itself, it's obviously very very insane. I don't want to say it might be like a cultural like difference or like in a different mindset but like the whole thing of it's not even like someone hacked them and like found a video in their camera roll like he filmed his brother filmed it and posted it on his snapchat yeah and then obviously someone someone on there leaked it so i I have no idea why you would do that yeah and then obviously his brother played for like i think it was like tagging him in redbridge or something which is like in league two or league three or something then he yeah he was like they just released him so yeah in terms of like obviously the fine, okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, but then I know a few people who are like saying, yeah, he should be sacked as a West Ham player. He should be, I don't know what. So I think at, to the extremes that people have gone, and then also a few people have picked up on it. Like, there's no, where's where's that same energy for the more important issues yeah. or just as important issues, you know? Yeah, definitely. I th- yeah, I definitely think if you're gonna hit back, like. If you're gonna take so much from Zuma for doing this, mm. you need to take the same amount of energy you're uh, doing with other events, such as there's been so many players who have been like racist towards other players, yeah, and you just like they just get like a fine or like a two two day match mm. ban. You know what I mean? And it's not even racism. I mean, Suarez bit three people. <laughs> My cousin a biting spree. <laughs> <laughs> And nothing happened to him. You know what I mean? I yeah. like he got fined, I guess, but uh, the difference is. Um... Yeah, no, I think in today's day and age, like I think footballers just need to be smarter, man. Like, yeah, on what they're doing and how they're moving, uh, especially in this day of social day and age of social media. You know, I was reading this thing about footballers because they're paid so much. People think that, like, people are saying that there's a theory where because they're paid so much and mm. because in the past, they've been getting away with stuff by uh, using NDNAs. NDNA? Is that the right? NDAs. NDAs. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> for a second. <laughs> um, NDAs and stuff like this, they can get away with it. So now, mm. in this time of, like you're saying, in the time of social media, they have this uh, God complex. Right. Where they think they can get away with anything. And now it's become, now it's catching up to them. Now social media has canto culture. Yeah, which yeah. if they do stuff like this, then they're going to have it on the resume and record for such a long time and more and more things are coming out. Benjamin Mendy, uh, Mason Greenwood. Yeah, so it's, it's, what do you think? Do you think there is a, a God complex to an extent? Might be, I think so. Because especially for the kind of the youngster aspect, some of these guys, for example, if you take the Greenwood situation, from like when he broke onto the scene at like what 17 18 yeah people have been telling him like you know you're the guy you're the man then he's obviously earning so much money and then obviously whatever happened happened so i guess you can attribute some of what you're saying like these guys are paid so much they're propped up they're idolized you know people are telling them all they they just have yes men basically yeah. just telling them you're the best you, you you want this you can have it you know and i guess it's just checks and balances being able to I guess, have 
steady foundation, uh, family life yeah. that you can rely on for your values and who you are as a person is very important. Because I've had this argument with my girlfriend as well, like always saying like these guys are paid like so, so much. Like even Zuma, the 250K fine, like that's that's two weeks wages for him. Mm. But if you take that in perspective, like 250K is two, two weeks wages yeah. for Kurt Zuma. But then I guess it's just this whole thing of sport has become so commercialized and rightly so because, you know, they make so much money. So it's only right that they earn their fair share. Um, so I guess it's it's two sides of, a, of the same coin, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't yeah, know. I've seen it in some some European players, but mainly in uh, players from Africa. I feel they do so much good for communities back home. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like because we live in a world where a player doing bad is m- an article more likely to be clicked on mm, yeah. than a player uh, giving to charity or building homes. Yeah, true. Unfortunately, we live in that world. A lot of the good they do... Goes under the radar. Yeah, goes under the radar, which is unfortunate, but... Yeah, I mean, it's just how it is nowadays. But yeah, it's also on the flip side, you know, some of these things coming out is also good so people can stop idolizing the wrong people and realize yeah. that some of these guys are <laughs> don't deserve to have their freedom basically uh some of the things they do yeah i mean it's just just the world we live in today to be honest yeah and then also did you see recently the um roman abramovich giving up control of chelsea yeah because of because uh, of his ties yeah he but he gave it to his was it his charity that the chelsea did? charity foundation or something like that yeah which he also owns so <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's this meme I saw. Uh, I'm gonna try and find it, like if on the video, put it up. But there's this meme I saw from like The Simpsons, where the you know, the, remember the guy that owned the power plant? Yeah. But like basically, he in one of the episodes, he put he named his his parrot or his cat as owner of the power plant. So whenever someone would try and sue them, it would be the cat <laughs> and not him. Okay. And that's that's kind of basically what he's done right now. Yeah. If they get sanctioned. Yeah, because he he still yeah. owns it, but it's not in. Like he's not in control anymore, so you can't really. Yeah. If they freeze like his assets, they can't. Then Chelsea will not be effective, which obviously is a good thing because if Chelsea, yeah. if his assets were frozen while you're still owning Chelsea, then that would have had like a very detrimental impact on the club. Yeah. But yeah, that I guess that's just kind of current affairs and. Well, there's one more that uh, my friend just texted me. Yeah. And I had to research well, um, well rumors. Have made a return there's a lot of people talking on twitter saying that it's coming back that what? Uh, the super league is back what they're trying to restart it again i mean yeah i don't know i feel it might be inevitable to be fair because yeah. there have been talks of super league since i don't know, even early 2000s because obviously most of these owners most of them are american mm. and if you look at america most of the sports like there's no relegation there's no whatever basically what super league is that's what they have in america yeah and personally i do not like no, that one bit I, man. I like the way it is man because lower teams like you look at leicester man yeah leicester yeah. they they worked with what they were in league four at one point i think so yeah and they worked all the way up to winning premier league man mm. if you have no relegation you're doing the same thing every single year you know what i mean yeah yeah it's I, I like the, the, the concept or the, you know, the fact that even, you know, like hashtag United, mm. even though they're in like the 10th, 10th division or whatever, yeah. like I like the fact that one day if these guys 
work hard enough, they can go all the way to the top, you know? Yeah. And yeah, because the whole thing with America, I feel America is too, it's too commercialized, man. Like, I tried watching the Super Bowl and... Just ads. Bro, like, it was... They'd play for, like, two minutes, a break, ads. <laughs> like, I'm not even watching the sport. I'm listening to commentators most of the most of the time. Like, I don't even understand yeah. what's going on. I guess the only sport that really is, is all right is basketball. That one, I can, that one is at least decent. NBA is, yeah. is all right. But, like, the American football, which is kind of the way Super League wants to go, it's not for me. I, I, personally, I can't see how people enjoy watching that. Like, not in terms of a sport, but just in terms of the broadcasting. Like, yeah, so many ads, so many breaks. Like, it's just so broken up. At least with football, like, you get 15 minutes. And I feel like 15 minutes is good because, like, the players get to rest and then you're just back. You don't even watch the ads, man. <laughs> you just go, you just leave, or you change the channel for 15 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but then I guess that's because football, like, generates so much more income on, in other things. Yeah, Because, yeah. like, American football, like, honestly, apart from America, like, there's not really, and maybe a bit of the UK, there's not really much hype, even in Africa, for example. Yeah. But whereas football, football, I feel, is, like, so universal that yeah. it's able to generate revenue through various different things, which obviously is a good thing because keeps the, the game we love intact for the time being. <laughs> yeah, five out of the seven continents have a continental cup mm. played every every four years, like AFCON, yeah, yeah. Europa, Copa. It's crazy. Like, no other sport, I don't think, does that. <laughs> yeah, definitely, bro. It's a, it's a people's game. And uh, so, yeah, I mean talked hella about hella things um your uni journey your undergrad masters uh now working in kenya then obviously we had a bit about the football yeah so yeah i mean it's been a it's been great having you on hopefully hopefully i see you soon i mean i know you said you're hoping to come back to the uk um later this year so hopefully that works out um Boys can link up. Do another Brighton trip. Yeah, <laughs> man. We've been trying to book a, a lads holiday for I don't even for like five years now, man. Gaza. <laughs> Since that group chat started. <laughs> Gaza, Gaza lacking, bro. I think that group chat was actually a, a holiday group chat. It was, yes. And, it just, yeah. and now it's transformed into I don't even know what, man. Yeah, it's never never materialized, but yeah, hopefully um now that guys get a bit, you know, a bit settled in, in their lives, you know, it can happen, but yeah yeah i mean thanks for coming on thanks for having me man yeah it was tough to schedule this with your busy working schedule but uh <laughs> we we made it work yeah and uh yeah this has been episode two of uh 22 and no clue although i'm 23 all my guests have been 23 as well <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah this has been uh your host Calgus sheru and uh my guest joss wardley and uh yeah if you listen this far appreciate you bless Peace.